welcome back to another special episode of App Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce, and I'm joined on the line once again by Lux. Lux, how are you now? I am doing just fine. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I am glad to hear that. And what's shaking down there in Texas, my friend? Is things, uh, you know, looking up and up as if, like, the springtime is uh, right around the corner? And it's in still kind of half and half, and they mostly still winter weather, though. Fair enough. I mean, obviously, our interpretations of winter winter was a little bit different, but yes, I hear you. I mean, we've got lots of lots of snow still here on the ground. We had more overnight, and uh, but but it reached above the freezing mark again today for the third consecutive day, meaning that snow and ice are quickly melting. So that's uh, that's kind of a nice. Uh, a nice development. You can see the snowbank slowly receding. I can once again see the pavement on my driveway. This is a good, good sign. So I'm uh, excited for the spring to come and uh, the nicer weather to be here because winter has felt very long and very, very cold this winter. So can't wait. Can't and, wait for the, for the nicer and weather. The, the cold, and the, the cold weather, they made it like what I had to do today hard. What, what what were you up to today? And they, you know how they we recently held in a primary elections in here in Texas. Yes, you have mentioned well, this on a few occasions, and like how they were at the town at, the, at like city hall, which is just sort of around the block from you guys. Well, and today I had spent the entire day they cleaning off and all the campaign signs and from the storefront that people just plastered there for some reason, and. The cold weather made it really Ooh. hard to move all the glue. Oh, yeah. 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 Are there not, like, I'm pretty sure there are, like, there are electoral laws around putting campaign stuff up. And if you put it up, it's got to come down within so many hours of the end of your campaign. So, that's unfortunate you had to do that. But, I mean, every jurisdiction yeah, that, is different. But, like, here in Canada... Like after an election, I think they have like forty-eight hours after the conclusion of the election to have all their signs down. So yeah, they here in Texas, they we seem to have a problem with like campaign signs still being around the, within like a week or so after the election. Huh. Yeah. I mean, like, I appreciate how important the, like running campaigns are, and like how much and how much people invest in it. But like, your storefront kind of needs its windows back. Like just, yep. <laughs> you kind of need your display there, display area back, and if you don't have them, then you're a little bit miffed, I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, just a little awkward all the way around. Oh, uh, oh well, you know, we're, we're the kids around here are all excited because it's almost our spring break. So I, when do you guys get spring break normally? Like when you were a student, when did you get spring break? Usually in the first or second week of March. Oh, so right around the same time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we we're getting spring. Our students are getting spring break. I guess Friday is our last day of school for for a week, and then then uh, everyone's going to get a chance to take a break. And so uh, the the atmosphere at school at uh, and here at home with my my own kids has been uh, they've been very excited for like you know a break from school for a while and a chance to do something different. So. Um, yeah, it's a pretty exciting times if you're a kiddo and 
if you're if you're a parent, you kind of dread the week in March where you're like, oh, geez, what are we going to do to keep everybody busy and out of trouble for for a week? Uh, I hopefully there's some players out here on the on our, in our audience that can relate because uh, if you've got small children and you got that spring break and you got to wonder how are you going to fill a week of a week of time and remain productive. So, whew. anyway, <laughs> oh, all right. Let's get on with tonight's show, right? Lex, we got some stuff to do, and I want to. Yep. I don't want to keep our audience longer than we have to. All right, folks. So, a little bit of housekeeping stuff. Don't forget, if you like what you hear here on the show every week, uh, you can find all of our content on thelotusconsole.com. Uh, that is where the show gets uploaded there each and every week, so you guys can go find it. You don't need a player. I don't need to go subscribe to Spotify or wherever. You can go and check it out there. Um, but there's also other things you can find on there. Uh, you can find other content that goes on. You can find the link to the uh, to the Discord, which is probably the number one um, you know selling feature of thelotuscouncil.com. Come and join the Discord and be part of the online community that, that they are cultivating there. It's very supportive, very very positive. Lots of great people who love to talk about magic, uh, give you advice, maybe make a trade, whatever it is you're looking to do. They can probably help you out. So come and check it out. Uh, you know, we're, we're there's still people looking to set up games all the time. So if you want to get in and you like to play webcam EDH or you love to talk about EDH, come and check out thelowestcouncil.com. Come and join their Discord and find lots of great people who are having great conversations. And you can join us for the low, low price of $0. That is right. Absolutely free. Come on in. See for yourself. You will not regret it. All right. So we've got three segments tonight, Lux. We've got our garbage or great. And then we have, we'll talk some, segment two, we'll talk a little streets of New Capenna. Um, but I think we're mostly going to turn our attention to some of the cycles that uh, Neon Dynasty is providing us. And then I've got a pretty sweet deck, I think, that I'm actually pretty excited about uh, with Tameshi at the, uh, at the wheel. So uh, let's get down to business. You ready? Yep. Buckle up, everybody. Here we go. So we have Garbage or Great tonight, Lux. We've got Rakdos's Return, uh, a, ret- a, a rare out of Return to Ravnica. So, Rakdos's Return is an X Black Red. It's a sorcery. As says, Rakdos's Return deals X damage to target opponent or Planeswalker. That player or that or that Planeswalker's controller discards X cards. So, like a big old X spell makes your opponent basically burns their hand out, deals damage to their pardon me, deals damage to their face or kills a Planeswalker. This seems. Like a pretty big, big, big time play here. So, but is it garbage or is it great? What do you think, Lux? I mean, honestly, under the right conditions, I think this card has the potential to be something pretty great. Do you? Okay, tell me more. Hmm? Tell me more. Well, in the... Think about this for a second. Either the you could use this to knock out a problem player, knock out a planeswalker that's kind of and they hard to kill, or even better, they you know the combo players tend to be uh, the biggest problem for the most part. 
you could use this to essentially break their combo by making them lose their hand. Especially if they don't have any maximum hand size with certain cards. You know, you're, you're, the, all three of those cases are actually really great reasons to put this in. And I think people um, are prone not to play this card. So I, I'm just going to come from the other side here. So right now, I would argue that people in the community view this card as being trash. Um, because it, the fact is templated to target a single player. So it, it knocks out, you know, it can kill a single planeswalker removes the hand, strips a player of one player of their hand um and so consequently people are people in commander are like i don't like getting just one person i want to get the whole table with my with my big expel and so consequently they don't want to play rakdos's return i think what you're presenting actually though makes it for a very viable case to run this card because um, as we're seeing more and more, the ability to interact and respond to somebody like a single solitary threat, uh, and in, in the case that you're presenting, a single a singular player who may have um, an overwhelming advantage in terms of cards in hand, or may have a powerful planeswalker that's getting ready to ultimate, and a well-timed Rakdos' return could be part of the process of derailing that player, because you strip that player who may be in the lead of their whole hand. Well, guess what? They're probably going to be like struggling to make up the cards they just lost and giving the table a chance to get back in the game. So I think the case you just made for Rakdos' Return being a card that's probably secretly great and ought to be run in more black-red decks is very, very, very valid. Um... So I'm. I think actually I've come. Like I was initially going to dump all over this card, but I heard your cases, and I'm like, you know what? Like Lux has got a really good point here because this card does answer the fact that it can go straight to a planeswalker. I think is actually um, like really really important because that is uh, a card. That is a, an ability that is I think overlooked. And yeah, planeswalkers die regularly in Commander, but if there's one that's going to go off, then you need to have a way to be able to answer it. And I think Rakdos' Return addresses that really, really well. So I think you're probably right. I think this is actually quite good. I think it's probably ought to be played a little more often. Um, now, I'll ask you a question here, Lux. Do you think it doesn't get run more frequently because people feel bad casting it? No, they honestly, I don't think people will feel bad about casting it. It's like you said, that people are, they, they tend to be more focused on just like, dealing with the entire table. And, and they, even if it's like I said, and they, even if you have like a major threat, like a singular threat, people just don't tend to and like, really focus on that. They just would rather like, go after the entire table still. Yeah, I mean, you may be onto something. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that some other reason doesn't get played more or adopted more is the fact that people feel bad burying a singular per person with this card. So if you target somebody, unless they're the arch enemy, the, the, the potential for a real feel bad moment there could be very, very high, meaning that 
your playgroup, you, you now have a potential player at your playgroup who is unhappy with the outcome of the game because they got targeted with that card that stripped them of their hand, left them dead in the water, and essentially removed from the game. Because that's what this does. Like that, if, let's imagine Lux. Like you and I are playing, we are playing with Fef and we're playing with, with, uh, with Sona, right? And you have Rakdos' return and you Rakdos' return a Fef's hand right out of her hands. And she wasn't the arch enemy. We're more, we're more or less at par. We're all stable. You know, maybe, maybe Sona's in the lead because he's got an extra, an extra two lands and a creature on, on the battlefield. But we're all pretty much at, at, at parity. If you strip so Fest's hand, she's like, well, how does that make her feel? Like, you've just taken her right out of the game and taken her from being where she was jockeying to be first or second at the table to putting her at fourth and a decided, a decided disadvantage because you just stripped her. And so, like, I think... Like, I think there's some measure of people who feel bad about doing that, despite the fact that you know, sometimes... You know, like, Fef might be playing that Eldrazi deck. That if she gets let to do her own thing, you're going to have to, like, you have to find a way to strip it. Like, like, address the giant Eldrazi pouring out of her deck. And this might be, you know, the best way to do it. But people are still going to feel bad about having cast that spell on Fef, even if it's strategically the best choice. Does that make sense? Am I making a coherent argument there? And you are, but it's like I said, you know, that cards like Red Quarry Tower that they give you no maximum hand size. They think of it this way, and they you may feel bad about knocking that player out of the game completely, or they like sh- they they basically shutting down what they were doing. But think of it this way: they they start they drawing in like several cards per turn. They they have like, a lot of cards in their hand. They they may be like prepping things up to essentially game everyone. And you have a choice to make. Do you they, they end what this person is doing, or do you let them go and do what they want? And potentially they end up winning the game. I'm with you. I think I think you use it. You don't feel bad about it. I think I think people who I it's similar to land destruction, right? Like sometimes you got to use it as a tool to give you the best opportunity to win the game. And yeah, it could it could suck. They could suck the fun out of the out of the game, but there are decks that do that. There are other decks that play stacks pieces that make it, and nobody can cast a spell. Those things happen, and no, and no one like gets particularly bent about stacks pieces. But yet, you know, there they are, and they're doing they're no different. If you whether you can cast the spells in your hand or you don't have your hand at all, doesn't really change the fact that you can't really do anything. So, you know, I think. I think it's kind of I think it's pretty fair game, and people need to stop being as concerned about it. I mean, it only appears in sixteen hundred decks, like which tells me like all the black red decks that are being brewed. Like I was looking at the top, the top commanders. Like it could go in Edgar, it could go in Corvald, it could go in the Ur Dragon, it could go in. Uh, let's see, what else could it go in? Prosper. It could go in Queen Marchesa. It could go in like Brea. Could go in tons of these blue red like decks with with red black, but I don't think it is. So, you know, people need to like some to some degree. It's because you don't have room. I appreciate that. But if you do in that prosper deck, for instance, you know why aren't you 
And if you're not, like, are you doing it because you feel bad about what you're doing to your opponents? Or, you know, because I think, like, I think the effect is hugely, it's a hugely swingy effect. Like, you just dumpstered yeah. somebody with it right there. Like, just straight in the dumpster. Yeah. So, I think the card is, I think the card is actually great. I think you're right there, Lex. As much as I want yeah. to, like, look at, look at the stats and dump on it, like, I think you're right. I think the card actually is kind of insane. Um, and at, like, 95 cents. Like, I'm looking at it here. 95 cents, if you're looking on, on Scryfall. Um, if I'm looking at it, at the card on on uh, EDH Rec, you can get it uh, on TCG, TCG for, like, a dollar. Something like that. CSI is buck fifty. So, yeah. Uh, cool card, like super fun. I, yeah. So I'm going to decide. I think I, I'm going to decide with you, Lex. I think the card is great. Uh, people probably need to be playing and and worry less about what um, other people think of them because the card is actually really good. Yeah, the, this is one of those cards that we refer to as a hidden gem. Yes, I think you are absolutely correct. And if you're a budget player like us, you're going to get a lot of bang out of a very small amount of investment. Um, for your Rakdos's return. All right. I think that was a good one. I like that. Okay, yep. next. Streets of New Capenna. So Streets of New Capenna is the upcoming set. It comes out at the end of April, everybody. So uh, now it's a little early to get full on into previews, but they did give us a few sneak peeks of some things. So let's have a little sneaky-poo or looky-poo here at what we find here. So... The first thing that jumps off the page to me, Lux, is the fact that we're getting the rest of the Triome cycle that was started in Ikoria, going to be continued here in uh, New Capenna with um, all these shards that are going to be represented here. So we have Jetmir's Garden, Rafine's Tower, Spara's Headquarters, Xander's Lounge, and Zyatora's Proving Ground. And I hope I did the names justice there. But um, what makes these interesting, like if you're not familiar with their audience, they're land typed. So they're with, the, with three different uh, basic land types. So mountain, forest, plains, for instance, on Jetmere's Garden. Meaning you can fetch it, which is cool. Um, they all come into play tapped, which is a thing. That's fine. It's a trade-off for having... The ability to now go and fix for three colors of mana, but it also can be cycled away. So, how excited are you for these guys coming back there, Lux? I'm actually pretty excited because you know, in Ikoria, the triumphs were pretty neat. Uh, I think they're actually like. Also, I think the triumphs have proven to be among one of the one of the more um, impactful cycles of lands that we've had. In the since you know I rejoined the game in Return to Ravnica, um, so you know obviously sort of top dog are like the the Shocklands followed by the Fetchlands, but like after that you're into the which and sorry incidentally we got those in Return to Ravnica and then Ravnica Allegiance and Guilds of Ravnica those are the Shocklands we got onslaught fetches. In uh, in Kanza Tarkir, and then they reprinted the Zendikar fetches on a couple of occasions in some supplementary sets. So, but apart from those, 
I think these are among the most impactful cycles of lands before their ability to be fetched, their ability to fix for three colors of mana, the f flexibility to to cash them in for a card if you need to. Um, I just think that's just really, really good um, all the way around. So I'm pretty excited. I mean, we're not going to spend too much time on what these are, how these are going to change mana bases because I think it's going to be really simple. I think you're going to have three color decks that are going to look at look at their mana base, and they're going to remove some substandard or subpar, um, you know, dual land and slide in one of these as a tri land that is just going to, you know, serve their purpose better, right? Yep. I mean, they're good. They're good cards, I, and and I'm not going to undersell them, folks. But they're also not as exciting. Because they're a mana, or mana based sources, and they're going to go in every deck or a lot of decks. Like it's not as exciting as it could be. But anyway, let's talk about Broker's Ascendancy. So white, blue, green for an enchantment, and it says at the beginning of your end step, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control, and a loyalty counter on each planeswalker you control. Uh, now, Lux, this is this is a continuation of the Ascendancy cycle we got in Cons block. So in Khan's block, we had Jeskai, Teemer, Sultai, Mardu, and I'm missing the last one, Abzan. Abzan Ascend Disease, which were all, I would say for the most part, they were decent, right? Yep. But Jeskai, the Jeskai one was probably the best one, um, but the others all usually saw some modicum of play. So, you know, we're, this cycle is being completed here. So we're going to presumably get one for each of the other four shards um, that are going to, you know, reflect the needs of their various houses. But um, at the beginning of your end step, put a plus one blue counter on each creature you control. Okay, is that is that exciting, Lux? Is that an exciting line of text? For players like me, yes. Okay. So I think I think you're probably right there. I think there's a lot of casual players who are going to be looking to build, brew a bant deck with, and you know, play into a broker's ascendancy, particularly when there's a lot of things that care about plus one plus one counters and a lot of modified um, stuff payoffs now from Kamigawa that we could you know get into to you know really shore up a deck. So I think that's pretty good, and then add a loyalty counter to each planeswalker you control. That feels like big game. I feel like that's big, big game. Thoughts there, Lux? Loyal, adding loyalty counters out of turn, like outside of just being able to activate your own, your own, the planeswalker. And honestly, like that's another thing that seems neat because you know, like, like ring players, like we're all about like adding counters, aren't we? Well, not necessarily, but I think there's a lot of green strategies that do lean into the counters. But I don't think that's an exclusive to the green thing. Um, but I do think like this ability, putting extra loyalty counters, I think is going to go a long way. Because, okay, so let's, let's postulate this, all right, folks. We know Planeswalkers don't live as long in Commander as they would in a one-on-one -on -one format. Because... You have three opponents that could be seeking to attack your planeswalker. Okay. 
This is like undeniably, and like attacking it is attacking your planeswalkers probably the most common way that planeswalkers die, even in commander. So, how do you protect that planeswalker? Now, one solution is to put up blockers, obviously. And I think everyone would, would prefer doing that first. We all know, as, as commander players, running your planeswalker into an open board is pretty well a surefire recipe for having your planeswalker die fast. However, if you can put some extra counters on your planeswalker, let's say you have access to an Ajani Steadfast, let's say you have now you have a Broker's Ascendancy, let's imagine you now have, I don't know, like a Winding Constrictor. I don't know how you're playing four colors. Let's say you are. You're playing four color Atraxa. That would work. Four colors Atraxa would get you a Winding Constrictor and a Broker and Proliferation and everything else. And you could do a lot to get your Planeswalkers to their ultimate a lot faster. And let's be real. Most Planeswalkers, if they can ultimate, means you're going to have a really big advantage. Like, almost game-warping sort of advantage. Right, Lux? Like, that's a big deal. If you can get... Yeah. If, if you get ultimate a walker, you're probably going to win the game. Right? Like, am I, am I, am yeah. I overstating? Like, let's go see... I want to go have a quick peek here on EDH Rack about the top planeswalkers and, like, how, what, what gets played. Um, come on. Load up. Because I think... Uh, by nope, by type. I want planeswalkers. Let's have a quick look. Which planeswalkers would be in the appropriate color scheme to take advantage of this? Well, okay, so number two is Narset Parter of Veils. Uh, Oko, Thief of Crowns. Could you imagine Oko with this card? All right, and seems good. Honestly, no, I don't want to. <laughs> um, you get Sahili. Uh, Sahili probably doesn't make because of the uh, the hybrid mana cost. Calyx. Oh, you get to Calyx. Uh, so if you're playing an enchantment sort of style, return all enchantment cards from your graveyard to, your, to the battlefield. Considering how the prominence of enchantments these days, that seems big. Tamio Field Researcher. Um, so if you can ultimate Tamio Field Researcher. Draw three cards, you get an emblem with you may cast non-land cards from your hand without paying their mana cost. So you get omniscience. Well, that seems good. <laughs> um, uh, you have access to Teferi, um, Time Raveler. You get access to Teferi who slows the sunset. You get access to a lot of other cool planeswalkers. So, yeah. Um, I think this card is actually really quite interesting it's ultimately very fair right lux this is like broker's ascendancy is a very fair card right because if you don't have a board you don't have creatures or planeswalkers that can take advantage of broker's ascendancy you're not it's not doing anything for you however the moment you stick some creatures and put a planeswalker into play you're going to start accruing value for free with your Broker's Ascendancy, and that's, to me, the sort of card that players like to play in Commander by virtue of the fact that you don't have to do any more about it. 
You don't have to sink any more mana in it to get the effect, right? Yep. So, I like Broker's Ascendancy. I think it's going to be very, a very reasonable card. It's not insanity, is it? No. No. Just, just, just a good card, right? Yeah. Do you think you know you're you're going to be looking for a Bant, a Bant deck through this set? Are you think of finding a new Bant commander? Nothing. For the most part, thing. I mean, it's starting to look promising, but I'll wait until we get more previews. Like, I want to see what fair. all this is going to deliver to us. Fair enough. Now, I will also comment on the art here for some of these full art lands that come in the, come in the set. They're stunning. They are beautiful. Holy jumping. Alternate art, borderless lands are beautiful. Like, all the art styles... I have to say, Wizards has really gone gone to town with the art cards, art on the cards. Um, I look, they just look stunning, just beautiful. So, I'm a, I'm a big fan of. I'm more, I I wasn't excited for New Capenna, but my I have to say, the level of my excitement for the new set has gone up several notches since I've started to see the previews come out. Would you agree, Lux? Do you feel similarly? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I think it looks. Like, I wasn't sure about, like, I'm like, mobsters? I don't know about this, guys. But I see this stuff, and I'm like, wow, this looks pretty cool. I kind of like it. So, anyway. All right, let's chat about our... Let's talk about our, our cycles uh, we get in Neon Dynasty. And sort of try to put them in perspective. If you were going to be looking for cards to build decks with or to include in decks, what would you look to play with? Um, what's not worth our time, really? And so we'll have a look at a couple. I've got I've identified four Lex. All right, so we've got four. Three of them I'd like to do tonight, and the fourth one, if we don't get to it, I'm not as not as worried about it. The last one, which is the invoke cycle, I'm so invite invoke calamity, invoke despair. If we don't get to that cycle because of timing, I'm okay with that. All right. All right. Let's start with the dragons because they're the, they're they're pretty cool. They're hot stuff. So we have Ao the Dawn Sky, we have Atsushi the Blazing Sky, Junji the Midnight Sky, Kairi the Swirling Sky, and Kura the Boundless Sky. Those are the five mythic dragons. And then I included Kaiodai Soul of Kamigawa as a five color dragon. So let's have a, let's, let's talk through the dragons. Um, so let's look at Ao first. So three white white for a five four flying legendary sorry flying vigilance dragon spirit uh, and it has when Ao the dragon sky dies choose one look at the top seven cards of your library put any number of non land permanent cards with total mana value four or less from among them onto the battlefield put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order or put two plus one plus one counters on each permanent you control that's that's a creature or a vehicle hmm. So, Lux, thinking about your decks, if you had Ao in your deck, which mode would you pick when, you're, when your Ao dies? Check this out. Because I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking about many of my decks. If I go for the first mode, where I look at seven cards, and then I get to put... Uh, any number of non-land permanent cards with total mana value of four or less. 
I'm not sure how many hits I'm going to have. Right? You get my get my point? Like, I'd be yeah. concerned. Like, yep. you could get you could get a really big three, four, or five for one, maybe. But you could very easily run in a situation where you just get blown out and you got nothing. So you lose your dragon, and now you get nothing for it. So, like, let's look at let's put let's put it in Nethroy, the Nethroy deck we brewed for you a few weeks ago. All right. So let's uh, buy mana value. What is this hitting? So, I guess actually that wouldn't be a bad one. So, in the the, the deck, the Nethroy deck we brewed for uh, for Lux a few weeks ago. Hopefully, you remember that that episode, their audience. If not, you can go and find it in our archives. But there are four cards that are at one mana value. There are uh, thirteen at two. We have eighteen at three. And then there's another further 16 at 4 mana value. So there's a grand total of, uh, there's like 2, 4, 12 cards, 12 cards, and, and of course all your land. Which, so you're putting at you know, 48 cards in your deck that you can't hit. Off of Owl's trigger. So you can literally hit half of your deck with Owl if you put it in that deck with Nethroy. That seems pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, how many of those are like awesome cards? Oh, uh, non land. Oh, whoa, 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 wait a second. Non land permanence. Okay, so there's so many things that are not permanents. Like for instance, you can't cast your death, your D spark, or your dig up, or your Malachi rebirth. So let's just have a look here. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, well, that's, that's an enchantment. That's good. Um, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 12, 13, 14. So it removes another 14 cards you can hit. So now you're looking at out of 62 cards. So there's 62 things that don't work. The remaining 38 do. 30, 37. So, one in, so let's call it 1 in 3 cards you can hit. At 1 in 3, do you want to run it? Well, I mean, it's mostly like one of those like flip a coin cards. Like, do I want to do this? Like, it can help me get things, or do I? What other like something else in? Yeah, like, I'm just trying to like. There's a way to hit. There's a way to calculate this. Um. Okay. So, population size. You have a hundred cards. You need. You have thirty. Seven successes. You get seven shots at it. Um, X. You're looking for you want to hit let's say you want to hit two cards. 
What does that do? Nope, that's not it. Uh, calculate. So, you have a 30% chance of hitting two things. Yeah, so you're talking about a 30% chance of hitting. Like hitting two cards out of your uh, out of an owl trigger. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. I think I would probably pass on that. So you're probably better off in like some sort of go wise strategy with owl and like having it die essentially overrunning your team and then do and then getting them. That's that's how I think I would play it. Like I'm intrigued by the probability, like the chances in that first clause, but as we just did the the the, the math behind it, you have like a thirty percent chance of hitting two cards, and so like that doesn't necessarily strike me as being a huge huge win for you. Interesting. Any other thoughts on Owl there, Lux? Um, and also that considering like all that, I mean, yeah, this is gonna be like this is gonna be a pass for me. Yeah, like I think if you're gonna like play Owl, you're gonna end up having to work really hard to leverage Owl. But anyway, I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I want to see it. Maybe I want to see it in play. At sushi, I think at sushi is very different. Uh, two red red for a four four legendary feature dragon spirit with flying and trample. And you get to, it has the die trigger, so you get to choose one. Either exile the top two cards of your library until the end of your next turn, you may play those cards, or create three treasure tokens. I think this one is better. What do you think? And honestly, those treasure tokens are looking pretty appetizing. Yeah, isn't that crazy too? But like, even the impulse draw is good too. Like, I don't think either of these modes is bad. Um, let's imagine you're a red deck and you're running low on running low on cards in hand. You know, at sushi dying wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. It allows you to at least go digging for a way to get yourself out of a jam. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Those those treasure tokens, like we've seen that at sushi combos with stuff. Like it is a, it is a combo card. Um, there are ways to make yourself go mana positive with at sushi. Uh, meaning that you are going to have potentially, or at least mana neutral, meaning you could like have it do its thing <laughs> a lot, and then you could, you know, impact tremors them or perforose them or whatever you're talking about. So, yeah, I, I think you know that's like you've been saying, don't they? Go ahead. And both in the red and white, they you know, like one of the biggest problems that they usually face is like lack of available card draw. Yeah. And like for red, they this could definitely be one of those cards that would help. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, like you just mentioned that, and they've tried to address that in a way that is remaining within their color pie, um, for both colors. Like so Al gets to go you get to go look at the top seven and put things off the battlefield. Uh, sorry, onto the battlefield at sushi impulse draw i think they're both they're they're both them interesting because they're trying to address that issue but so let's read junji what junji offers us junji is um when it dies so it's sorry three black black for a five five flying with menace 
And so each opponent discards, when it dies, each opponent discards two cards and loses two life. Or put target non-dragon creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. You lose two life. Well, this is nuts, isn't it? Yeah, they, this is definitely prime Netheroid material right here. Yeah, like this card is nuts. Um, so, okay. I don't imagine the mode they'll pick too frequently is the uh, discarding cards. Although the fact that it hits each opponent is very, very, very key. But I think you can go and dig into a graveyard, any graveyard, and put something big and scary on the battlefield. Seems good to me. So, right, yep. right now, like I have Junji as being the top one, as Sushi as being number two, and Ao is number three. Would you agree? Yep. All right, let's check out Kyrie, the Swirling Sky. So, four blue, blue for a 6-6 six, six with flying and ward three. When it dies, you have to return any number of target non-land permanents with total of mana value, six or less, to their owner's hand. Or you can <laughs> mill six cards, then return up to two instant and or sorcery cards from your graveyard to your hand. That seems strong. Which mode would you pick? Honestly, I'm not sure with this one. I think I'm picking the mill six. The mill six, then you pick up two instants. I think that's the way to go. Um, because we've seen in Commander, there's, there's some really, really powerful instances of sorceries that are running around. And you could do a lot of damage uh, or, or get yourself something really useful back. Like, like imagine this. Like, let's say you pick up a Sword Supply Share, a Counterspell, a Beast Within, a Path to Exile, a Chaos Warp. None of these seem bad to pick up. Let's imagine you pick up your Cyclonic Rift. That seems good. You pick up your Rift. You can do it again. You pick up, uh, you know, Anguish of Making. You pick up a Dovin's Veto, a Trophy, a Terminate. Like, Picking up any of these could be absolutely game-breaking because uh, it allows you, gives you another another shot at a removal spell or answering a problematic threat. But you could do something like Vampiric, just go find the Vampiric Tutor for a combo kill. Um, you could be going to go and get, like, all sorts of things. Like, there's lots of great choices here. So I think I'm pick Kyrie's, like, is dependent on what's in your yard. But I think my inclination would probably be to, like, Mill six and pick up two instants and sorceries. Although I mean mass bounce could be good, but you're probably only bouncing one to two creatures. Really? Like if you think about it, total mana value six? Probably only bouncing yeah. one to two. I mean you might get lucky and bounce a whole bunch of tokens. Doesn't that sound gross? Yeah, bouncing, you're bouncing all the tokens on the battlefield. <laughs> Just bounce them all. Bye, boys. Blow out. Um. Anyway, okay. So Kyrie's cool, and then we've got uh, Kura, the Boundless Sky. So three, three green, green for a flying Death Touch four four Death Touch. Interesting. Uh, when Kura dies, you get to choose choose your library, choose your li search your library for up to three land cards, reveal them, put them into your hand, and shuffle, or create an excess green spirit creature token where X is the number of lands you control. These seem less good. 
Don't get me wrong. I yeah. like my I like the ramp play. Well, it's not even ramp. It's like I like putting the lands in my hand or putting a big green spirit into play. But I don't think it matches up with some of the other ones very well. Do you? What do you think? No. No. So okay, let's rank them in terms of like I think I think Junji is number one. Any any disagreement there? No? I think Junji is number one. I think Atsushi is two. I think Kairi would be three. Now we're left with Ao and we're left with Kura. So what would you rather do, Lux? Would you rather like have your dragon die and get left with a big green thing? Or would you rather it die and you go looking and maybe you hit two cards out of the top seven? I think I'd go with an L instead. Yeah, I think I probably would too. Um, so this four, and then Kura is unfortunately number five, which is disappointing. And then Kyodai, well, it's yeah. not really fits in that cycle. It's more of just you know, yet another big old dragon. Um, that I think. Yeah, he's just along for the yeah, ride. Yeah, he's along for the ride just for just for giggles with his with his big with his big friends. All right, cool. All right, let's look at the lands next. All right, so we've got Bozeju who, en- who endures. We have Iganjo, Seat of the Empire, Otawara, Soaring City, Okanzan, Crucible of Defiance, and Takanuma, Abandoned Mire. Now, Lux, do we need to even like read Bozeju to know that it's probably the top one here? No, like honestly, we don't. Like, the, I don't, like, I doubt any of the others could take that spot. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think I think Bosaju is a very clear number one. Now, the really question comes down to what's number two, and I have my 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 choice. Um, what do you think is number two? Yeah, but let's go over them. So, all right. So let's read Aganjo. Aganjo says, uh, "Well, so it, it's they're all legendary lands. They all come into play untapped and tap for one color. All right. So you can channel." Two and a white, Ganju deals four damage to target attacking or blocking creature, and it costs one less you control and activate. Uh, sorry, uh, to activate if you have a legendary creature on, you control. Four damage to attacking or blocking. Uh, have you played Commander recently? That is not a thing. Am I like, nope. so? I, I'm not okay. So I'm clearly not not a big big fan of that one. Uh. Do you want to read Odawara? Let me bring it up. Incidentally, the art is beautiful again there, folks. If you guys are looking for beautiful cards to put to spruce up your decks, these these ones are doing the trick. So, right, what does Otawara Soaring City do for us? And this one has channel two. Name discard Ottawara, return target artifact creature. Enchantment will planeswalker to its center's hand. This ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. So the channel here is a little expensive, three and a blue, to, to channel yeah. it. However, um, this feels really good because like you can't counter it. There's, like you cannot use a counter spell, nab Otawara. 
So if your opponents are looking to, to negate the effect, then they end up having to go the route of using a stifle or a nimble obstructionist or something to that effect to, to shut down the effect. Meaning you have an, essentially an uncounterable bounce spell in hand. That seems good. And it is templated in such a way that you could use it to bounce your things back if you want to replay something. So, just saying. Like you're looking to like make sure something doesn't die or to return something for value, you could do that. So I, I think that's you know, very strong. I think that was good, good applicability. All right, Sokinzon Crucible of Defiance. Um, this is the red one. So it has channel red, three and a red for discard Sokinzon. I create two one one colorless spirit creature, creature tokens. They gain haste until end of turn, and this ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. Um, I don't think creating two one one colorless spirit tokens is worth it. That's my own opinion. I really think that like two one one spirit tokens is like is just negligible enough that. No one's going to care. And sure, there are going to be situations and corner cases where you're going to be able to, you know, have um, surprise blockers or surprise attackers to trigger something. But I don't love the fact that they, like, they're making, like, if they made grizzly bears or something or 2-1 goblin pikers, I'd be more inclined. But at 1-1 colored spirit tokens, like, I'm kind of not on. Not in, not in to that. I want my mana source instead. Thoughts? Yeah, and then it, it's like you said. Like, I don't think that would really be worth yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, oh. like, I appreciate what they're trying to get for us here, and it's not wasn't really intended to be used in Commander, but there it is. It's going to be used in Commander by somebody. All right, which leaves us Takanuma Abandoned Mire. Do you want to read it? Yeah, I mean, the cost is basically the same, like three, three in a generic and one black. This card, Takanuma, and then mill three cards, then return a creature or pinswalker card from your graveyard to your hand. This is what it costs, so one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. We got Corpse Churn. It's a Corpse Churn on a land. Which yeah. corpse churns corpse churns yeah. is a powerful effect. Like it's a good card. So let's rank these then. All right. So Gonjo is one. I think Odawara is two. Pretty 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 handily. Do you agree? Okay. Yep. So I I personally think that Takanuma is then number three. Any any disagreement there, Lux? Yeah. No. Okay. And then that leaves us like with a Ganjo and Sokanzan. I think the red one probably wins out because dealing four damage in Commander is not really relevant. Agreed? Yep. Yeah, so a Ganjo is probably the last, the last of the five. All right. Uh, moving on to the shrines. We've got shrines, which I think are kind of weird. All right, so let's go through them all. So we have Goshintai of Hidden Cruelties, the black one. Um, so... I, they're all like two twos, so they're, 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 the creature body is not relevant. But this one has death touch. Uh, at the beginning of your end step, you may pay one, and if you do, destroy target creature with toughness X or less for X the number of shrines you control. 
that is like that's some mean some mean text so let's not forget that one um go shintai of lost wisdom is weird um but do you want to do you want to read it lux the blue one Okay, nine. This one has in the flying. At the beginning of your end step, you may pay one when you do. Trade pair meals X cards, where X is the number of trans you control. Uh, I'm not in love with mill, and it's, it's a target of a single player. No. Target's a single player. So, okay, probably not a thing. Um, Goshinte of shared purpose. Um, so it's a 1-3 with vigilance. Four mana, uh, three and a white. But then it says at the beginning of your end step, you pay one. If you do create a one one color spirit creature token for each shrine you control, yes, please. That sounds good. I'm in <laughs> straight up. Like, yeah, that seems good. Like, one mana to make three, four, five creatures potentially. If you have a bunch of shrines on the battlefield, yeah, okay, I'm in. You agree? All right, oh, big then time. let's read uh, Go Shinte of Boundless Vigor, the green one, Lux. And this one has Trample. At the beginning of your end step, you may pay one. When you do, put a plus one, plus one counter on target shrine for each shrine you control. That's so disappointing because not a lot of the shrines yeah. are creatures. So, like... Nope. You could get a big payoff, but you're having to put it on another shrine. And a lot of the shrines, like, like the Hondans that we had previously, or the, the other legendary shrines, like, they weren't creatures. So I don't feel like that's a relevant... Now we have to, add, now we have to like, power up an enchantment and turn it into a creature. Like, I'm kind of out. Like, not a big fan. So, I will leave us with the red one. Go Shintai of Ancient Wars, two and a red for a two-two with first strike. Um, yeah, end step, pay one. When you do, Go Shintai of Ancient Wars deals X damage to target player or planeswalker, where X is the number of shrines you control. Um, I wish that it said deal X damage to any target instead of to a play to a player or planeswalker. The fact that you have to do it to a cre- to a planeswalker or a player doesn't make makes me a lot less interested in it because now I'm really pigeonholed about where I got to put it, where I can target. So, hmm. all right, so let's rank these. So the white one is very clearly number one, right? That's the one that makes bodies, so yeah. Yep. I think the second one is the black one, because it kills stuff. Right? That seems good. Yep. Which then leaves us with three questionable. So the question is, Lux, would you rather mill your opponents, or would you rather deal damage to your opponents? Honestly, though, like when it comes down to it, like milling them is so much sweeter. Just the look on their faces as they lose potential cards that they could have drawn. I'm gonna. I agree. The satisfaction of having milled your opponent for five, six, seven cards and watch them dump a whole bunch of things in the graveyard is cool. However, I would say this: there's enough decks that make use of their graveyard effectively that. I would be really leery about putting things in a graveyard, um, if not for that player, for somebody else at the table who 
has a reanimate spell or can go and get something powerful out of their graveyard. So I don't love the mill. I think I'd rather be seen doing the damage. Also, think about it this way, Lux. How many cards are there at the table? Well, between all three of your opponents, you're playing 300 cards. You're going to have a lot harder time milling out 300 cards than you are in dealing 120 damage, in my estimation, at least. So I think I'm putting the... Yeah. I would put the, the, the Shinte of uh, Ancient Wars ahead of the Shintai of Lost Wisdom. Any, do you feel strongly about whether that? Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'll put the red one is three, the blue one is four, and I think we can all safe to say the green one is five, right? It, you, yeah. Because as a green player, that card was disappointing, isn't it? It's just disappointing. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. Now, the invoke cycle. Uh, these are so hard to cast. They're all quad red pip or quad color pips. So, Invoke Calamity, for instance, is one red, 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 red. Four reds to cast a spell. And then you may cast up to two instant and or sorcery spells with a total value of six or less for your graveyard and or hand without paying their mana cost. Ah, uh, do I even want to talk about these locks? <laughs> like, I don't even want to read them. Because there's no, so not really. many mana pips. Like, I'm out. It's just out on that alone. I'm not playing them. Because I don't want to spend five mana and four nope. of them being black to cast a spell that targets a single opponent. And they all target single opponents. If I'm not mistaken. Let me just quickly, you know. If one says, you know, each opponent says something, but... Return target permanent. Yeah, no. Lots of ways to return permanence. Evoke ancients, create two, four, five spirit tokens. No, not happening. And then invoke the winds, gain control of target artifact or creature. Untap it for one and four blue. Okay, I'm out on all of them. I don't want any of them. <laughs> I'm, not gonna pl I'm not playing them in, in any of my decks. End of story. All right. So let's bring a circle full, come out a full circle. So we're not, we're, I'm not playing the invoke cycle. Are you going to play any of those invoke cards? No. Okay. So nope. they're not playing them, folks. If we're not, and we're, and we're about as casual bungles as we're going to find, no thanks. All right. The shrines. These only go in the shrine deck. Are they going anywhere else? No. Play so not. if you're building Goshinte, play shrines. Have fun. Fill your boots. So let's move on. Lands. Okay, we're playing these lands. All right, these are worth playing. All of them are worth playing. They come into they come into play untapped. Yep. They all have a relevant ability. The ability can't be can't be countered very readily. They're just good cards. You get played lots. True. Yep. Okay. Yep. Oh, that's easy enough. And then the dragons. Um, I think some of the dragons are worth playing. Like, for instance, I think Junji and Atsushi and probably Kairi are probably worth running in many decks. Maybe not every deck, but many decks. But the other two, Kura and Ao, I'm less convinced on. Um, I don't think that they are particularly stimulating. Would you be playing? Would you? 
Would you play any of these dragons in decks you have already, Lux? Uh, probably not. Really? Well, the, I'd probably end up playing yeah. the black one. Yeah, for sure. Like, play the black one. Pardon me. Um, but maybe not. I can appreciate maybe not playing the others. Like, if you're not if you're not building your deck to leverage at Sushi, then you're probably not running going to run her. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I know I have a, a Kura that I opened uh, or was open on Twitch stream for a box opening for the Lotus Council. So I'm kind of excited to see Kura show up and to try her out in a deck. But I'm under no illusion that she's going to be good. And I'll be quite happy to cut her when the chance comes. So, anyway. And yes, I think all the dragons are girls. That's what I think. I don't know why. That's what I think. <laughs> um... I, I don't know. Maybe someone out there can prove me I'm wrong if there's some if some reference to them as being male characters, but I think they're all female dragons, and I'm okay with that. All right. <laughs> uh, any other last thoughts on uh, on yeah. on the dragons or the lands or the shrines or Lux? No, uh, no, not really. I, I, they're interesting cards, and I've played. I was playing a number of the shrines in a in a draft online yeah. on Arena. But uh, other, I, I'm not burning to build the Goshintai um, Five Color Shrines deck. So, anyway. <laughs> Let's move on to segment three, because we're getting late. And so I want to I wanna provide a bit of context for this week's deck, Lux. So, ladies and gentlemen, I went on to EDH Rec, looking at the commanders that were available from this set. And... Uh, this one jumped off the table to me, so table to me, because she seems to be very innoc, pardon me, innocuous and kind of almost kind of dull. However, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this this card, and I don't think this card is dull at all. And people are sleeping on it, like legitimately sleeping on this card. Because I think this card is kind of nuts. Alright? So just to put it in context, Tameshi is the sixth most commonly built commander in the set. Behind Ishin, Satoru, Hinata, Tatsunari, which is the, the, Sultai, the Sultai Frog one, and Light Paws, Mono White, Eat Your Face. Alright? So... It's not like it's a totally off the chart deck, but I think the deck is like Tameshi is suitably flexible. Um, you can do a lot of powerful things with it. So let's read Tameshi. Two and a blue for two three legendary creature Moonfolk Wizard. Whenever one or more non-creature permanents are returned to hand, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. And then for a white and X. Return a land you control to its owner's hand. Return target artifact or enchantment card from your, with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate only as a sorcery. Alright, Lux, so this card reads to me like it wants to really lean into that second part of, the, of how the deck is constructed um, to leverage returning things from your graveyard to the battlefield right that's what how i read the card as being really salient 
any any thoughts like do you think that's how like you would read it too or are you more interested in the first portion And I'd most likely okay, read it that so way. You like that ability of returning things from your graveyard to your to the battlefield. And so this yep. if that's what you want to target, this card is just Hannah's ship navigator, but better. So if this is gonna be your deck, you can take your Hannah's ship's navigator deck and you can just stick it stick Tameshi right in there. So and the reason I say it's better than, than Hannah, so Hannah is one white blue uh, for a one two. And then you can activate one white blue and tap to return an enchantment or an artifact to your hand. All right, so I think I'm pretty sure I put Hannah in here. Uh, yeah, so you return it to your hand. And you have to tap Hannah as well. So it's good card strong abilities. Tameshi does more. So Tameshi A doesn't need to tap. So you can just do it. And it so you could play it two or three times use it two or three times in a turn to put a number of I don't know artifacts back into play, maybe eggs or something, I don't know. But you can do a lot of powerful things with with that recycling your things and doing it multiple times in a turn. Um so I think that is interesting. Then, if you want to pick up, you want to get into the, the, the picking up a land question, now you're talking about, like, a landfall deck that is also really powerful. Um, so, the deck I built today is kind of like a combination of, like, it's being pulled towards some of the landfall stuff, and it's being pulled towards some of the, the graveyard recursion stuff that you can get going on with Tameshi and Hannah. So let's have a quick rundown of some of those, like the landfall payoffs, and then some conversely, some of the artifact or enchantment payoffs you could hit. Uh, now, this deck wants to do the if it's going to do landfall, you're going to play things like Ammunition Angel. You're going to play things like uh, what else is the other one? Oh, I saw another one. Sorry, Fearless Fledgling, which seems like a kind of a derpy card, but the fact that it pumps itself doing very little. Seems good. You're going to make lots of Mandrops that way. Um, Trove Warden is another one. Uh, the Walking Atlas plays into that theme too. Um, but you're looking to get extra lands into play. You're looking to use, use the landfall triggers to do something. Um, and I think the card that I think people overlook and I think really ought to be included if you're playing a landfall deck is Gear Per Orrery. And I think it's... So it's only 80 cents from... Uh, it was from, from Kaladesh, I believe. Um, but, so what it says, each player may play an additional land on each of his or her turns. Well, okay, there's going to come a point when your opponents probably can't leverage that anymore, but you're still going to be looking for it. So I think uh, Gear for Ori is a tremendous card for people who are looking to do um, landfall-y things and just get a lot of play, a lot of value. There may be somebody out there who can utilize that that first clause very powerfully, but yeah, no. So that is the landfall trigger, landfall angle. If you want to get into the enchantments angle that uh, Tameshi wants to get into, I was going for sagas. Um, so I think sagas are the way to go because they all naturally go to your graveyard, which I think 
is what this deck wants to do. It wants to be able to go and pull them from your graveyard, put them back on the battlefield, and reuse them. So, um, now the... Pardon me. The... Whew, the sagas that are, that are you know, at your disposal, we got things like Elizabeth Conquers of Death, Cure Best the Sea God, um, you have the Modern Age, you've got the Restoration of a Ganjo, you've got uh, Michiko, uh, Michiko's Reign of Truth. You're getting a lot of, of, of sagas, um, but probably not enough, so you need to supplement with a few other things. Um, so this deck is playing like Pillow Fort, things like Ghostly Prison and Propaganda. Um, you're playing things that slow down your opponent's ability to cast spells with um, Archon of Emeria and the... I forgot what it is. But yeah, so... I think if you're like looking to lean into the, the recursion of enchantments, you're looking for sagas. Um, there's also quite a number of, enchant of, of artifacts that you can get back with your Tameshi. But the, because they all appear as potential creatures, so you get your things like uh, Lion Sash or Silvermere or what have you, and you know you're getting, you could also recur, you know, those those artifacts as well if that's what needs to happen. So I think the deck is actually really good. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a deck tech uh, in the next couple of days to try and get like a five minute chat about it, you know, on the on on our YouTube channel, so you guys can get a look at it. Lux, uh, any thoughts on the deck quickly? Do you think it looks uh, like something you, you might want to play, or does it look like totally something totally foreign to you? I mean, honestly, like, this might be a deck that uh, could potentially get me into that specific colored combo. Really? I'm, I'm actually really excited to hear that, because normally, yeah. and like, let's be honest, folks, we're both guilty of it here on the show. We're both big green players, aren't we? We love to play green. Yeah, and we yeah, definitely and so, love trash talking are, blue. And like this deck is like, it's like playing into like I would argue though it's not playing into the worst elements of blue, right? Like the heart, like the heavy counter angle. I'm definitely in playing some counters, but I'm not. There's only three in the deck. Like that's not the premise of the deck. This deck needs some counters to keep people honest. Make you make them think you've got it. Um, but you have to choose your spots judiciously because you don't have a lot. Um, oh, yeah. No, I think the, the, and at $116, seems pretty, pretty viable, right? Yeah. Oh, anyway, um, check out the link in uh, at the description of this week's show if you want to check it out. Uh, or look for the, the, the uh, look for the video deck tech I'll be doing uh, probably tomorrow. Um, so for you folks, that would be Wednesday night. Uh, look for that to come out uh, tomorrow night or, or Thursday morning. So with the uh, a sort of a quick five minute deck tech, which I think is something I'm going to do, though. Lex, I don't know if I've, I I think I'm going to do a like, quick five minute like video deck tech to try and get everybody up to speed on the deck and talk about it, like speak directly to the deck, so people can see it with me. So anyway, that's we that's my that's my thought of Tameshi. I think the card is really good. I think the card is even better in the 99 than it is as a commander. That's what I think. So, ta-da! Any last words or locks before we move to sign out? Yeah. All right. Not really. So, that's going to bring this week's show pretty much to a wrap. 
thank you very much for everybody for sticking with us for episode 97. Um, if you want to get a hold of us and send us a message or two, we'd love to have people send us email. At this point, we haven't had a lot, but you can find us. Uh, our email address is theepicexperimentpodcast at gmail.com. Now, um, if you've forgotten that, it's in the show notes. You can click it. Uh, there it is. Uh, if you want, you can reach out to us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at epicexpcast. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us since we're on there all the time. Um, and you can get a hold of us. We'll respond. And we'd love to have questions or comments or things directed our way. So, again, hit us up. If you like our deck uh, or any of the decks on the show, you can always find them on Moxfield. Uh, Moxfield.com. You look up the username, the Epic Experiment Podcast, all one word, and go and peruse our inventory of decks. All right. Uh, as always, whatever platform you are on listening to, whether it's Spotify, Amazon, um, what else did I forget? Uh, Google Podcasts. Apple Podcasts, uh, leave a comment, like, subscribe, follow, whatever you need to do to get the word out there that we are here every week talking Commander with you guys and having fun doing it. We'd love to hear from more of you folks. So if you're out there, tune in, let us know, send us a message. We'd love to hear it. All right. Next week, um, what are we going to be doing? I guess we're going to be uh, yet another Commander from Neon Dynasty. See what we can brew up to be kind of spicy, get people in the door and playing. But that is for next week. Uh, until then, this is the Evan Trevor Podcast signing off. Wish you all the best for every Thanks very much, everybody. Take care. Have a great night. Talk to you all again soon.